Merry Christmas to everybody. Why do we say that? Have you ever thought about why we say Merry Christmas? I looked up this morning early, I looked up the word Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. I looked up that word in the, I think it was the Oxford Dictionary. It said this, Mary means an occasion characterized by festivity and rejoicing. Can you set the clock for me for in the back? Thanks. An occasion characterized by festivity and rejoicing. So why do we say Merry Christmas? Why is this an occasion for festivity and rejoicing? Christmas, I think it's fair to say in the church and especially in the culture has been consumed with consumerism. Christmas in our culture has, has, over the years, moved right into materialism. It has. The heart, the very center, the heart of Christmas has often been pushed aside so that, that people are, are content with a, the joys of a superficial celebration with family and friends. And believe me, there is nothing wrong with, with good meals with family and friends. There, there, there's nothing wrong with um, a roaring fire and sharing gifts with family and friends. There is nothing wrong with sparkling lights and time off work spent with family and friends. But I'm afraid that in all of that, we've missed it. There's a potential to miss the very heart of Christmas. And I will propose to you this morning that if you miss the heart of Christmas, you miss the heart of Christianity. Now, Jesus, if you're familiar with the way he lived and the way he talked in his 33 years, when he walked upon this earth physically in the flesh, he was not content with superficiality. He was not content with externalism. He was not content with hypocrisy. Jesus came for our heart. He came to go inside. He came for the core of us. He came for what makes us tick. He came for all of us. He came for our motivations. He's not content with ritual. Jesus is not content with religion. Jesus came. He wants something real. He wants a love relationship with him that expresses itself in love for others. 
So I think just as we believers, I think, oftentimes in our own hearts, as we look around at the culture where you can be discontent, I think, sometimes this time of the year with the superficiality we see at Christmas time. But understand, Jesus was discontent when he came with the superficiality of those Jews that claimed to know God, but their hearts were far from him. He was concerned about those who were his followers, even the disciples, the, all the, the, the large crowd of disciples that were following him. He was concerned that even those who claimed to be his disciples may have hearts that are far from him. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6 as we continue our exposition of the book of Luke here. If you're, not, if you're visiting, we, we go verse by verse through the Bible. We're in the book of Luke right now, and we're in Luke chapter 6. I want you to find Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. If you have a, a, a Bible in the, in the pew in front of you, it's, I think, 1,025 or so. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. It says this, verse 20, And turning his gaze, so it's Jesus' look in verse 20, And turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Notice he's looking at his disciples. Not the 12 apostles, but a whole crowd of would-be followers of Christ. Testing, I'm back. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who... For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Those are the words of the first sermon of our Lord Jesus Christ recorded in the book of Luke. 
let me get this straight. I'm going to keep preaching. Let me get this straight. Now listen to this. The poor, and I'm not tapping you because the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the ridiculed are the blessed ones. That's the first thing out of Christ's mouth. And, and woe and dread and curse for the rich, well-fed, laughing, popular ones. That reverses everything in our world. That reverses everything in our culture. That's opposite of everything we've been told. That's offer, that is everything that the world values, especially now at Christmas time. <laughs> Jesus apparently does not value. Do you see it? Do you see how we can miss the heart of Christianity so often? And is it so surprising then that we miss the heart of Christmas? So this morning I want to make um, two important observations from this passage about the heart of Christianity. Okay, two important observations about the heart of Christianity. And then, and, and then I want to show you the connection of the heart of Christianity to the heart of Christmas. That's what we're going to do. Observe first, number one, observe that the heart of Christianity is humility before God. The heart of Christianity is humility before God. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that um, being physically poor and being physically hungry is the good life. I don't think that's his point. That somehow you should therefore try to be poor, try to, to cry all the time, and never eat good fo food, and that's the heart of Christianity. I think that misses it completely. I, I don't think physical, external stuff, when he talks about being poor and hungry, I don't think physical stuff is the issue here at all. And we'll unpack this more in future sermons, but for today, just listen. Jesus is talking about the heart. He's trying to get at the heart. He's going, trying to dig inward at our attitudes. He's getting at the very heart of Christianity in his first sermon. Jesus isn't thinking about physical poverty and physical hunger pains and physical weeping here. This is spiritual poverty. This is spiritual hunger. This is weeping over spiritual things. This is spiritual humility before God himself. Do you remember in the other Sermon on the Mount uh, passage in, in Matthew? What does Matthew say in his version of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in... Poor in spirit. So what Jesus is saying right here is he's getting at the heart of Christianity here. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? The idea of poor is to be in that culture, that specific word that Jesus used is a heart of one that would be 
perhaps blind and sitting by the road and not having any way to provide at all for himself and would sit on the road and beg, being helpless and hopeless, asking for help, being poor in spirit is when you just know before God that you're helpless, that you're a beggar, that you can't earn your way in, that you're bankrupt, and you need God to do something. You can't save yourself. That's what it means to be poor. And it moves into the, the, the spiritual hunger. It's not a physical hunger. It's a hunger to, 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 to have, to be clothed by, by Jesus. It's a hunger to be, once you're convicted of, of that sin and helplessness before God, to be forgiven of it. It's a deep burden that you have, but that hunger is, is to be rid of that burden. It's to have the one thing that you need to be accepted by God, and you can't be accepted by your works. You need Him. You need this righteousness that is ever elusive, that you can never achieve. He must give it to you. There's that hunger to have His righteousness, to be right with God. And so you're weeping over it. Blessed are you who weep now a deep sorrow over your need, a sorrow over your sin, a sorrow that you all your life have fallen short of his glory. All your life, all you do is make a mess and break relationships. All your life, you've never loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You never have loved your neighbor of yourself. Yourself is on the throne, and you're in trouble, and you weep over it because you've not loved God as you ought. And this, Jesus says, is the very heart of Christianity, is the heart Attitude of Christianity, spiritual poverty, spiritual hunger, spiritual weeping. The heart of Christianity is humility before God. It is not saying things like this. I'm just fine. Jeff, I'm just fine. My mom played the piano in church for 25 years. I'm fine. I'm sincere in what I believe. I, I, I. I'm better than the next guy. I'm trying my best. I'm a good guy. No, no. The heart of Christianity is being done with that and having a brokenness and humility before God. And so that's the question. This Christmas, have you seen and felt the burden of your own sin Ever. Is this you? Is this you? Is this your heart? The heart of Christianity is humility. Some of you may be saying, wow, that is not why I got this passage, is not why I got my master's degree in business administration. <laughs> it's not. Not to be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. If this is Christianity, you can forget it, and I get it, but know what's on the line. But I think we are missing the other side of the coin here. That leads me to the second point. On the other hand, the heart of Christianity, listen, is humility before God that leads to happiness 
in God. It is humility before God that leads to happiness in God. I know many people, many of my friends and colleagues would say that Christianity is dull and boring. It just robs you of fun. It robs you of fun. Yes, I like my fire insurance. I want to jump through some hoops. I'm going to do certain things to make sure my good outweighs my bad, but that's enough. I'm not being robbed of fun. Why be shackled with boring Christianity? But if you look at the text, our text this morning in the book of Luke, what we just read, verse 20 says, Jesus says, blessed are you. And then in verse 21, he says, blessed are you twice. And then in verse 22, he says, blessed again. In verse 23, he says, be glad and leap for joy. Does that sound boring? That word blessed means pure joy. A good translation, like in Psalm 1, would be happy. It's real, lasting satisfaction. It's when God pours out his grace and blessing upon you, and you are blessed and happy and satisfied. It's pure joy. The first thing out of the mouth of Jesus, the first word out of the mouth of Jesus is blessed. That's Christianity. Humility before God is the path to blessing, eternal happiness with God. Look at the descriptions of the joy and blessing in our passage. Okay, just look at it back at verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, right? Why? For, here's a reason, yours, yours is the kingdom of God. Right now, you have the kingdom not yet, in its fullness, yours is the kingdom. Wow. How about this? Blessed are you who hunger now. Why? For, here's why you're blessed. For, you will be satisfied. Satisfaction. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Laughter. Satisfaction in the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound good? Does that sound boring? Who doesn't want satisfaction? Real, ultimate, final satisfaction. Blessed are you, uh uh-oh, when men hate you, ostracize you, and insult you and scorn your name as evil. Now look at this. For the sake of the Son of Man. Christians have put their trust in Jesus Christ. We have said, no, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. We have attached our whole selves to Jesus. And let me tell you something about the heart of Christianity. If you attach yourself to Jesus, not just in a few Christmas facts and Easter facts, 
But if you attach your whole self to Jesus Christ and his loves become your loves and his hates become your hates and his words are your honey, if that is you, let me tell you from time to time, one time or another, men will hate you, ostracize you, exclude, which means to exclude you, insult you and scorn your name or your reputation. That's what the name means there, as evil. But be glad. What? Yes, be glad and leap for joy in that day. Why? Verse 23, for reason. Behold, he wants us to see it. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. Question, is this, be honest, is this a description of you? It, it, this is the essence of Christianity. Let me ask you a question. If we're honest with this text, is Christianity boring? If, if this text is real. Is Christianity about what you know in your brain? If this text is real. We must get this Christmas to the heart of Christianity. We can't blow this text off. We cannot blow this text off because it goes on to say this, woe to you who are rich. No, this is going to be spiritually again. Woe to you who are rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Every person is either blessed or cursed. There's no middle ground. There's no second path. This is the categories to choose from. If you're seeking in this life to pile up riches and you're putting God on the shelf and you don't need him, you don't long for him, and you're stepping on people and stepping over people, seeking pleasure at every turn, laughing it up, pleasing everybody around you to be popular, powerful, and provided for, and you're content with that, you are receiving your comfort in full. There's no comfort at the end. There's just an expectation of the curse of woe. A terrifying woe in a place of the fury of endless just judgment in a place called Gehenna. Or as we like to say it in our slang today, hell. In our translation today, a place called hell. The kingdom of heaven or hell itself is on the line this Christmas. Jesus is trying to help us. The first words out of his mouth, he's trying 
to help us. He's, he's trying to see, are we a true Christian? Are we just a Christian in name only? Has good, solid Christmas knowledge, but does not possess a living, longing relationship with Christ. The difference is night and day. The difference is heaven and hell. He's trying to help us. The heart of Christianity is humility before God that leads to happiness in God and that forever. If you miss the heart of Christianity, you miss the heart of Christmas, which leads me to my last point. The heart of Christmas is his humility in exchange for my happiness. You have a bulletin insert. I'd like you to take it out. There's a verse right in that bulletin insert. It's Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul, in, in that second letter re, to the church in Corinth, in chapter 8, verse 9, says this, For you know the grace, and it's grace. What, I'm about, what we're about to talk about now, the heart of Christmas is grace. What is grace? It's unearned favor. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. It's a free gift. He says, you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, do you see the similar language between Paul and Jesus here? Do you think Jesus is talking about physical cash flow? Do you think Paul is talking about physical cash flow? No, not at all. So the poverty here is, is think of humility. And, and when you talk about true spiritual riches, that is ultimate blessing and happiness, just like Jesus taught. Okay, are you with me? Okay, so let's, let's explain this verse a little bit because this is it. This is the heart of Christmas, that though he was rich, he became, for our sakes, he became poor. The Son of God... The second person of the Trinity, no beginning and no end. From all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit didn't need anything. Blessed in himself, full, overflowing with love in the Trinity. There is the Son with his Father, with the Father, in glory, in splendid light, in perfection, in the ivory palaces. 
worshipped by the angels, shining forth the light of his truth is the eternal word. Yet, the text says, for your sake, he became poor. We can't imagine how poor he became for us. Let me just read a couple of passages that describe the poverty of Jesus for us. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As John wrote in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you imagine the splendid Son of God in glory saying, I will go for them, Father. I will. I'll go for them. And he did. And the Son of God came out of a birth canal covered with mucus and blood for us. And he cried and he had to be cleaned off. And he was in a board. There was no room for him in the inn. How rude. It's the son of God. He's in a barn with manure and all of that in a feeding trough. In the cold. At night. For you. Becoming poor. It wasn't over after that. He took upon this stuff. He lived among us. The light came into the darkness. The warmth came into the coldness of our frigid winters of our souls. And he was rejected. In his first sermon on Isaiah 61, preached like no one's ever preached before and was tossed off a cliff or tried to by his family and friends in his hometown. He became poor. He was rejected among men. He was an itinerant preacher, nowhere to lay his head. He was misunderstood. He was despised. But he set his heart, he set his mind, he set his whole self to go to the cross of Calvary in a city of Jerusalem. And then he arrived and he was convicted at a false trial, an illegal night trial. Just that night around a little fire, arguably one of his closest friends denied him three times to a schoolgirl because he's afraid. And he was mocked. He opened not his mouth. And he was beaten with rods. And he was scourged with the whip to the edge of his life. And then that was the beginning of the hour of darkness. 
when hell itself was unleashed upon the Son of God in the flesh, the God-man, in the hour of darkness, stripped and shamed and bloodied, was put upon the tree. Nails were driven into his wrist and into his feet, and he was abandoned. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that we might become rich. His people. And then the just punishment for our failure in sin and shame. All of it was put upon the shoulders of the God-man. And in his own flesh, he bore the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin in our place. And that is as poor and as low as you can go. In his own body, he paid your hell. Whatever it is, in six hours, he paid it. He finished it. And then he died after he had said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. For you know, don't we? We know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor. Praise God, that verse does not stop there. His humility exchanged for our happiness so that you, so that you, not so that so blob of humanity, no, no, he died with you on his heart, with your sins specifically on his body. Out of love for you, he came for you. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The poverty of our sin was given to Jesus, and he took our sin upon himself on the cross. As Paul wrote in Colossians, listen to this, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So how did we become rich? Our sin is gone. Jesus paid for all of it, past, present, and future. It's full forgiveness that he offers. All of your sin, brother, sister, listen to me. You are rich because you're forgiven. Your sin is gone. There's therefore now, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that also the riches of his righteousness could be given to us because we just didn't need to have our sin forgiven. We need to be perfect as God is. You have to be perfect to be in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. How are you doing with that? I'm not doing, I'm doing, I failed today. I'm over today. There can be no sin there and yet Yes, he paid for our sin, but we need to have a positive holiness, a positive righteousness. And Jesus came, and he shut his mouth, and he was baptized. He didn't need to repent. He did all the law of God. He never sinned in his heart, in his mouth, in his mind. He was always set like flint upon the perfect will of God. He always obeyed God. He always said no to temptation, and he did it for you. In word, thought, and deed, and he earned a perfect righteousness, and he earned that for you so that he could give you, through faith alone, the riches of his perfect righteousness. 
brothers and sisters, we are rich in Christ, are we not? I mean, full forgiveness, uh, perfect righteousness. How about this? A brand new heart tugged out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of our beloved son, adopted into the family of God where we, he calls us father, or he calls us son, daughter. We sit at his table. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. How about the, how about the gift of his spirit within that, that is changing us and growing us and will not be thwarted, thank you very much. You can't stop him. You get you home. How is that for good news? By trusting in Christ, we have also the riches of the kingdom of heaven. There will be reward in heaven, as our text has taught us. We will rise at the end like Christ has risen. This flesh will depart, and somehow this flesh will take on immortal, new, real flesh, but somehow fitted for eternity. And we will rule with Christ And we will win with him in history. And all injustice will be turned aside. And that forever and all weeping will be gone and we will see him face to face. Oh, we are rich in Christ. That blessedness is described in the last book of the Holy Scriptures in Revelation 21 verse 3. The tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying. The first things have passed away. Is that boring? Be glad and leap for joy this Christmas that you are counted among the blessed of Luke chapter 6. You going to take credit for that? Be glad and leap for joy that you have seen that that little baby in the manger that night came for you. Be glad and leap for joy that you long to give him gifts like the wise men of old. Be glad and leap for joy that you've held him in your arms like Mary of old in adoration and love and worship. Be glad and leap for joy that you have cried over him, seeing that he has come like Simeon and Anna of old in the temple. For he is your consolation. He is your redemption. So this Christmas, be glad and leap for joy. For Jesus came for you to bring you home to God. Through his poverty, indeed, we have become rich. Do you see why the soup by do you see why superficiality at Christmas misses the real heart of Christianity? Are we there? But do you also see, now work with me, do you also see why 
the feasting and the lights and the warmth and the joy and the family are all of that. And some of us don't have that, and it's really hard. But all of that is a picture of the riches we have in Christ. Do you see it? The heart of Christianity is that humility before God leads to happiness in God forever. The heart of Christmas is that the Son of God took upon flesh and humility so that we could be truly happy in His presence forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So the question I have here as we close is this. A couple of questions. Take a second to collect yourself. This is important. Today could be the day of your salvation. It's time to stop going superficial. It's time. Are you counted among the blessed today in this passage? Or are you among those who Jesus says, woe, woe on you? Which one is it? Are you content with this world in, in leaving Jesus as a relic on the shelf, as a figment of your upbringing? Which one is it? Which one do you want today? What seems like it's going to last? Have you seen your need for Jesus in Jesus' message, his first message? I'd like you all, us all to bow our heads here for a moment. If you say this morning, I want the real deal, I'm tired of superficiality, I'm tired of simple head knowledge, I want to be a true Christian, I would just invite you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I would invite you to admit that you need him and that you believe you just might be in the wrong category of Jesus' first sermon. Admit it to him right now in the quietness of your heart. And then say, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. Thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth for me. Thank you for dying for my sin in my place. Thank you for living the perfect life that I have constantly failed to live. Oh, God, I have no hope apart from you. I need you. I want you. I want the real deal. Save me, Jesus. And you know what? He will save you. He will save you. All who come to him, he will never, ever cast out. He invites you this Christmas. Jesus invites you. Just like he said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Isn't that spiritual poverty? All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I invite you to come to Jesus today.
Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, not just your head, believe in your heart that God raised from, from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Trust me. To know Jesus is the only cause, ultimately, for gladness and leaping for joy. I think we can understand, can't we, why we say Merry Christmas. Because Jesus is the one great cause for festivity and joy. So you can raise your eyes up. Merry Christmas to each one of you. If you need help and want to talk to a pastor about a commitment you made to Christ today or would like to make that commitment, please see Pastor Don, myself, Pastor Jim, Pastor Dan after the service. Come to him. Come to him.